What's up, everybody? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't watch that much TV. I'm busy, y'all, but I did watch a lot of shows as a kid, and it kind of did a number on my self-esteem. Well, you know, since none of the people on the screen reflected me or my family. Now, fast forward, I am an actor, and despite being a part of the TV-making process, I wouldn't consider myself like a fanatic consumer of it. However, my guest today is quite the opposite. She is somewhat of a television aficionado. Oh, TV is the best representation of humanity at so many different times and how we view ourselves. It's the fastest way to get kind of real-time feedback. That's Ashley Ray, a comedian, writer, professional TV watcher, and a fellow podcast host. On this episode, we're going to talk all about TV shows, of course, but also how brown and black representation has evolved over the years. And then we take a nice detour into the world of advertising, where we try to pinpoint where exactly the problem lies. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Uh, we do start with these like rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to hit you with those. First thing that comes to mind. Best TV show on air right now. The Last of Us. No, 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 I'm not sick. No! I'm not sick. No! I'm not sick. Look, look. This is three weeks old. It's just incredible. I, I'm not a video game person, and it's pulling me in every week. I thought I was tired of the zombie genre, and it's brought me back in. Favorite working comedian? Maria Bamford. Favorite comedian of all time? Maria Bamford. <laughs> hey, kid. <laughs> some powdered donuts yeah they're in the freezer underneath all the vegetable crap wow actress you'll watch anything in <laughs> angelina jolie wow an uh, actor Ooh, i will go with oh uh, jonathan majors okay yeah best tv show of the last decade mad men i've never been in love she won't get married because she's never been in love I think I wrote that. It was to sell nylons. For a lot of people, love isn't just a slogan. Uh, streaming service of preference. Peacock. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Controversial. Con- yeah. It is the underrated gem of streaming right now. They have the best comedies. They have some really good dramas. Their only problem is they don't promote their own shows. It's like they want to be an indie underground hit and <laughs> act like they're not owned by NBC. But it's like the only place you can go to watch like American Auto, uh, Below Deck, which I'm obsessed with. <laughs> and I love Poker Face, uh, Killing It. They have so many good comedies, but nobody knows about them. Okay, you heard it here first. Peacock is the jam. It is. TV I say with Ashley Ray. Another episode, another episode of TV I say with Ashley Ray. Another episode. Now that is a fly ass tune, y'all. Ashley's podcast is called TV I say with Ashley Ray. Her show is a celebration of all things television. Every week, she discusses the shows that everyone is talking about and breaks down their best moments with uh, comedians, actors, and or TV writers. And I wondered where her love of TV began. Uh, Definitely college. And it was binging Mad Men. Like, Mad Men was the show that made me go, whoa, TV can say things. (laughs) Like, TV can do interesting things. I mean, before that, like, I loved comedies. I loved 30 Rock Community. You know, but I never really saw... Like, once I watched Mad Men and some other things, like The Wire in college, that's when I was like, oh, TV is the best representation of humanity at so many different times and how we view ourselves. It's the fastest way to get kind of real-time feedback of, like, how humanity views itself. Even with reality TV, like, I'm obsessed with 90 Day Fiance. (laughs) And I think it tells us so much more about ourselves than movies, which often try to be so polished and clean and smart. TV is just gritty tv is tv (laughs) college feels late to the game to fall in love with something so much so that it takes over your life yeah and i mean if my mom would be like ashley always loved tv she was the kid who was like i don't want to go outside and play i want to watch tv (laughs) and but as like a young black girl i was like well that's not a real job i could ever do like i'm not gonna make money doing tv that's like so hard and impossible i'm gonna get i'm gonna do like advertising I worked in advertising for like seven years because that was, you know, I write writing commercials. TV adjacent. Yeah, TV adjacent and more practical. Uh, and then finally, when I became a TV critic uh, for the AV Club and started working at The Onion and stuff, I was like, oh, wait, I could actually like do this. I can, I can like people, like people want me to be a freelance writer and publish things. and They care about my opinion on TV and I have smart things to say. Uh, and it just kind of grew from there. As an expert of all things TV and pop culture... I wanted to give Ashley a list of a few shows that have showcased brown folks over the years on the small screen. I wanted to get her thoughts on whether these shows were actually a good representation or not. I'm going to just name some shows. Uh This is another rapid fire. Yeah, yeah. And I want a quick response of whether you think these are good representation or bad representation. Oh, okay. Jane the Virgin. Good. Ugly Betty. Good. Uh, the Mindy Project. Bad, but it's supposed to be bad representation. She doesn't want to be the model minority. She wants to be the problematic, like, I'm a, ble- I'm a person of color and a woman of color who's allowed to be messy. So she's our answer to Lena Dunham. Wow. <laughs> uh, I love that answer. Rami. Good, good. I love Rami. I know that it gets pushed back, but I think for what it's trying to do for his character personally, it's good. What's the pushback get? It gets a lot of pushback for showing this one very male-focused vision of Islam and uh, 
also, he's very, he's not, you know, a good Muslim. He is someone who doubts himself, who breaks his own rules, who lets people down. Uh, and that's part of the show. You know, that's part of this character's journey. But a lot of people think, you know, if you're going to be the one show that represents us, you should show the best of us. So That 70s show. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> uh, modern Family, specifically Sofia Vergara. Bad. Bad. Uh, never Have I Ever. Good. Good. Yeah. Again, messy girl who's like young girl of color who gets to be messy. The George Lopez show. Good. Uh, Reservation Dogs. Good. Amazing. Great. So great. Good. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I love that show. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's the show we've needed for so long. It's for, yeah. Insanely beautiful. Like native representation, everything. It just, yeah. What makes these things good versus bad? I think it's the the care and concern that goes into it. I think it's who's behind the camera. Like when you look at Reservation Dogs, you know, that is natives who who are in the writer's room, who are putting the show together, directing it um, versus something like A Desperate Housewives or A Modern Family where, you know, there weren't. There were probably one or two maybe gay writers in that writer's room, but there was no one who was like, we are making this show to make gay people more accepted by mass America. That was just a thing that happened because the two actors in the role were so funny. You know, but that wasn't the the stated goal of the show. Um, when you fell in love with Mad Men in college, right, and you have this sort of newfound love yeah. for TV, does representation even enter your mind? Or is it just, no, you're like, TV is so good, it can live beyond, it doesn't yeah, need representation. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks everything has to have representation and should be everything for everyone. Like, when I was watching Mad Men, I was never like, there should be black people in this. I was like, no, there wouldn't be black people here until they bring in Dawn, who, you know, that's the story that fits. She's the one black person who feels out of place. So, you know, there's period pieces where that's realistic. There's other things like, say, Reservation Dogs, which got pushed back because people were like, well, there are black natives, so why aren't black natives represented in this? And da-da-da-da-da. And other people who were like, well, what they're representing is this one specific community that looks like this, that he grew up in. So, like, you can't expect it to be everything to everyone. Like, it has to tell the story it wants to tell. Because I think you get distracted trying to do a lot of fan service when you fall into the, well, people want to see this, this, and this. And they want this many gay couples, and they want this many lesbians, and you have to have this many black people. And that's, like, good representation diversity. Because I think there's so many shows that try to piece that together that just end up being bad. <laughs> I do see a lot of ca- casting and, uh, yeah, show ideas that are, like, uh, paint-by-numbers. Yeah. Like, We'll make a pretty picture if we put one, you know, queer person, one transgender one queer person, person, transgender, one, yeah. your non-binary person, and it's like they did that. I feel like with the Gossip Girl reboot, uh, the show Grownish on Freeform, which is like one of the blackish spinoffs. You know, it, at first it kind of made sense, like, oh, we're gonna follow Zoe, and now it's just kind of like, who are these people on this show? Like, they just kind of plugged in, like, yeah, we need a lesbian, we need like a gay guy, we need this, and there you go. <laughs> What was the uh, first TV show that you felt that you ever thought about 
you were like, oh, this actually is representation for me. If it's not Mad Men. Yeah, it wasn't Mad Men. When were you like, this is this is it? I I guess the first real time it was uh Sister Sister. <laughs> Uh, I loved Sister so Sister. As it's so good and so funny. Tia and Tamara. Tia and Tamara. And they looked like me. And they were like, you know, just black girls in like the Midwest or whatever. And they were cute and funny. And I was like, whoa. That great song. Great song. I was like, they're fun. Like, my life could be fun and on TV. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to look like Full House. Uh, so, yeah, I would say, yeah. The Maori sisters really did it for me. I watched a lot of Sister Sister. Definitely watched a lot of TV as a kid. Yeah. And I think the TV is, I I personally tell this story a lot, that the TV I watched as a child, I think fed into this maybe self-hate I had in myself. The reason I didn't like myself. I liked Beverly Hills 90210. You know, I like like these shows where I didn't look like these people, but these people had great lives. Yeah, they had great lives. Yeah, I would watch. Thriving. Yeah, I would watch Degrassi and be like, these kids are the most interesting kids in the world. And they don't really look like me, except for Liberty. But Dawson's Creek. So I tried to like frost my tips, you know, like my <laughs> hair. My mom was like, hell no, you're not your doing? damn mind. Yeah. <laughs> I will never let that happen. So inclusion, diversity, yeah. representation. These are these are words to sell you something. Yeah. And I always fear a word that then becomes a marketing tool. Right? Yeah. These are important things. We we have we have experienced them. I think there are things you have to experience them to really understand why diversity matters or representation yeah. matters, blah 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 blah. But now they're just being sold, like we said, right? Like paint by numbers. Let me put a queer person, a non-binary, yeah. this, blah, 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 blah. You know, we start this panel. We open this diversity committee. We've checked all of our boxes, and it doesn't really mean anything. So have we gone too far? What is the line? Do we need to pull back? Do we still need to worry about good representation? Are we pandering? What's... We also know the numbers. As the talk goes up, the representation, the representation actually, gets actually worse. goes down. And I think we've seen that throughout history. You know, when you look at the explosion of what was celebrated in the 90s as like the black golden age of TV when you had Martin living single. Everyone oh, I grew was, up on all of that. Yeah. Oh. That was considered like this this big second coming of the black age of TV, with the first one being with um, you know, Gold Good Times and the Jeffersons, which was the first one, but again, that was all white people behind the camera. I mean, black people so, had a network, UPN. Yeah, and then in the 90s, it's like, this is actually black-made TV for black people. And we saw this diversity, and then what happened? These networks started getting money, getting audiences, and they were like, we don't have to do black stuff anymore. Like, now we can pivot to the CW and start doing all these white shows that, you know, that make us more prestigious or however they see it. And so... You know, that happens where everyone's celebrating the diversity and then it stops being profitable and it disappears. And we had to wait until I believe it was Scandal when Scandal came out with Olivia Pope and uh, Carrie Washington. That's her actual name. Uh, When that came (laughs) out, it was the first time a black woman had been a lead in a network since like Julia in the like 70s. So true. Yeah. So it's like. 
we celebrate this diversity and people look back at that time and go, oh, well, we had Kerry Washington, we had Blackish, Insecure, but those were the only shows we had. <laughs> when you compare it with the 90s, it's not as much diversity, but like it gets so much attention that you think, oh, we must be doing better. You know, I, I don't think we've hit this wall. I think we're still struggling to get the diversity behind the camera. I think that's what matters more because I think these white writers and directors will just shove people of color into roles that aren't even necessarily like written with them in mind. You know, they're just doing it for the diversity. It's, it's not just about what people are seeing on their screens. It really is who is writing this material, who's pushing for it, who's promoting it because you get so many shows, uh, Dear White People, Hentified on Netflix, that are diverse, wonderful representation, and then they're given to like some white marketing company that does not know how to reach an audience for this show. So even when we do get that, it's still a struggle at what every an interesting thing, level. actually, is like knowing even how to how to market to the people that are different people that than are different people normally marketing that you normally to. market to when it's like for so long your Netflix mandate is like, you know, we want teenagers like 15 to 22 whatever watching this hit show and we want emily in paris to blow up that's a very different audience than you know yeah hentified the difficulty is in hollywood like promoting them the difficulty is in hollywood being like we can't do what we do with you know these white shows for this show and they don't want to change that game plan so like you look at again hentified and it's like they got barely any promotion of like how do we you know reach out to the right audience for this show so it's I, I it's like this difficult thing where I do think networks in Hollywood like at large will go, well, we have black people, so that's diversity. <laughs> and they they just don't look at all the other colors <laughs> in the in the crayon box. It's like they go, well, we have black people, so that's all of the minorities, check, right? Yeah. <laughs> like check the box. The isn't that enough mentality. Yeah, it's which like, is also directly tied to the zero sum mentality. The yeah. idea that like if you get more, we get less. We get less, exactly. So With as much content that's actually on the air cannot be real. It you know, like, yeah. Like, again, you look at a show like Rami or Mo. Those are the two shows for all Middle Eastern representation. Those two shows, and uh, we are Lady Parts, which is on Peacock and may or may not be coming back. We don't know. So it's like, okay, we have two and a half, three-ish shows for this whole identity. For and we're just, of people. And then they'll be like, but you should be happy. Yeah. Like, oh, Rami got awards. Aren't you happy? We're recognizing it. And it's like, I don't I don't need all of the minority television to be award-winning, you know? Mm. Hey, that's a that's a quote. Put that on a bumper <laughs> sticker. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, Ashley reveals the real secret to what might be behind the downtrend in diverse representation. Don't go anywhere. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. 
Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we are back with TV critic and comedian Ashley Ray. Now, before the break, y'all heard us mention UPN. This network gave birth to some of the most iconic shows by black creators. I'm talking Moesha. The Parkers. Girlfriends. And one-on-one with the one and only Kyla Pratt, who was a previous guest of this show. What up, KP? It was an unbelievable era of laugh-out-loud moments in TV. But when UPN and WB joined forces to become what's now CW, it's fair to say those shows were gone quick and replaced with white ones. So the, we talked about this like golden age of black comedy, right? Yeah. Or really just black television. You knew Moesha, Martin, Half and Half, uh, Bernie yeah. Mac Show, My Wife and Kids. Living Single. Li- I mean, it was good. Yeah. Great. Amazing. And then, so the shift where it really did end. Yeah. Are, you kind of mentioned it. Do you think it's just that? Like, was it just, we made a bunch of money. Yeah. We don't need to make this anymore. We don't need, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a common... Um, tactic i think in marketing and i think even now more where you see um at that point networks and a lot of times it would be like magazines would focus on black audiences because black audiences would get you attention black audiences were dedicated they get you numbers uh you know if a black show was good they would write about it they you know black magazines would talk about it you'd get a lot of ratings you could build that up you could get you know advertising dollars that you know were specific to the black community that's making you money to build up your network versus if you were just playing old episodes of i don't know like full house or some crappy new white sitcom that's going to get lost against friends you know so that allowed them to build up upn until it was able to be sold to the wb and became this you know wb eventually cw And at that point, they were like, well, we have so much money. Our audience is starting to shift. The ad dollars we're open to is getting higher. And at that point, advertisers, when they're like, we have more money, what that typically means is we're targeting white audiences, right? (laughs) It's like we have all this money to advertise McDonald's, but we only really care about advertising as like white people or, you know, white hair products. And when that happens, the demographic you're targeting changes. So when you get the opportunity because Pepsi wants to give you a million dollars to show ads to white people, Hmm. you're going to start making white people content. (laughs) So that's why you see all these shows just kind of disappear and get canceled, even though they were so popular, you know? And it's like what you think about you're like, why did Living Single end? And it's straight up just Fox was like, oh, well, we don't really care about black audiences anymore. <laughs> we we don't need to. But I think you see that so often where, you know, people understand black people lead culture in a lot of ways. And so they want to ride that wave to mainstream culture. I did not expect 
our conversation to go to this place. And it's really, because we can harp on the problems all day. The yeah. numbers are there. We know there are problems. We know there's problems with representation. We know the words that get talked about. But what doesn't get spoken about a lot that I'm wildly excited about, maybe sad about, all of the above, is advertising. Yeah. Like, the power that advertising has, commercials make money. Yeah. You know, brands make money that you put in things, uh, give money to these people who make these shows and thinking about how to reach your audience. Your audience. And people don't realize how much advertising shapes everything. The radio you listen to, the TV that you like watch, like where, where the ads run. This, we work in, you know. Yeah, like- all of it is so controlled by these brands going, we want to reach white men this age to this age. You know, they're going to focus on the majority. But when you look at television and someone says, hey, so we have this ad by, you want to reach white guys. Well, we're not going to put your ad in Grand Crew because that's a black show. We're not going to put your ad in Abbott Elementary because we put that under the black show category. <laughs> and so then those, but that's not happening with Abbott because it's getting insane numbers. But that's an example of how these black shows won't even end up in the conversation of advertising. That's how these shows, uh, you know, like I would probably guess Lopez versus Lopez is seeing this issue where it's being categorized as a Hispanic show. So unless an advertiser is like, well, we specifically want to reach Hispanic people, it's not going to come up in the conversation. And, you know, what gets shows renewed? Ad dollars. (laughs) Like, yes, it's how many viewers, but that's just because viewers lead to ad revenue. So it's just this problem where it's eating itself. Fascinating. Blowing my mind. <laughs> Loving this. You worked in advertising. Is it is it the brand's fault? Is it the... Uh, who push? Who has to push back? Who uh, has to... Yeah, it's... It's... Uh, I want to say it's the brand's fault, but when you work in advertising, most of the time, brands are like little idiot babies. Like, you're just... Like, the brands are just, like, little children who don't know what they're doing. They're just like, oh, we make McDonald's. How do we get it to people, you know? So I think so much of it is actually advertising agencies and marketing agencies. And it's interesting because they sit in this, like, dark little corner where nobody notices them. You know, when you think of Super Bowl ads, people think of the brands. They're not thinking of, like... Ogilvy or Starcom are the people who placed that ad. You know, they're not thinking of the people who made the buy or did the negotiation. And that's where the pressure needs to come from because those agencies, I worked at Ogilvy and Mather, which is the agency that inspired Mad Men. Uh, And back in the day, it was just like Mad Men. It was like old white guys, like everybody drinks. They're not on the cutting edge. They aren't really in tune with what people want. They're reading reports from like eMarketer that tell them, hey, this is, you know, how white people watch TV. And is it also the association that white people have more money, right? So yeah. they are the buyers you want to target. They're the buyers if you're you REI, want to Well, no shade to REI. I like REI. Yeah, I love REI. Uh, REI is great. Uh, let's just say any <laughs> brand. Like, but So are they saying, because if I'm thinking about like, oh, I want more, you know, brown representation. Yeah. They're saying that brown people don't spend money, so why target ads towards them? Yeah. And it's like, it isn't going to be REI saying that. It's going to be whatever agency they work with. Like the agencies are the ones doing the audience research or the polls or, you know, focus groups to figure out what should we advertise, blah, 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 blah. But no, how do you hold an an advertising agency accountable? Like, if I walked outside and was like, I asked 20 people, do you know what Starcom is? They'd be like, no. (laughs) But Starcom, Publicis Group, it's like the largest ad agency in the world that controls like 80% of the other ad agencies, you know? And it's like, that's where the pressure needs to be. 
what are some important things we can consider when it comes to representing a community? Yeah, I, for me, representation always comes down to who is behind this message. I think representation can't just be sort of like empty platitudes or hirings of, of like actors. It has to be, you know, people of color, black people in the writer's room behind the camera directing you know, look like a show like Queen Sugar, you know, where Ava took care to be like, I want female directors. I want people of color behind this, you know, because that's what makes it true to Louisiana and the story she wanted to tell. Uh, so I think that is the biggest maybe fight right now is matching, well, increasing diversity in front of the camera, but even asking the question of diversity behind the camera. Yeah, I think we just need to to ask more questions about who is creating this media, who's putting it in front of us, for what reason, you know, is it something where it's like this is a work of art from people of color that wants to make a statement on people of color and is about like portraying our experience or is this some sort of like whitewashed version of representation to fulfill a quota for a network? And when I think about artists who make things, it's hard. It's it, thinking about all this advertising it has me thinking about you know the famous, the famous white gaze toward Toni Morrison speaks of. Yeah, you know, which is, I want to make my art, but I also want to sell my art. Yeah. And the people who buy my art and the people who tell me that they should buy my art because I'll make the most money if these white people buy these my white art. white people buy your art. And so that that gaze affects the art you're making. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it makes me sad for young creators who want to sell a show yeah. and know they have to sell it towards that, that ad, that white advertising. But it's not just about who's behind the camera. It's also about who's behind the script. Now, Ashley has been in some writer's rooms, and according to her, sometimes diversity can mean one person or one seat. I will say on my first show, I was blessed. Uh, Alabama Jackson was my first show, which was an adult swim show about um, this time-traveling Black man who works with Harriet Tubman to stop racists throughout history. <laughs> and everyone in the writer's room was Black, <laughs> which... I have heard from it is like an it's unheard of rare. experience. It's rare, especially for your first room. Like no one is. So I was like blessed with my first room. Uh, my second one was very quickly like two black people. Um, <laughs> Any Latin people? Any... Nope. No, no, no. Nope. Uh, nope. And it was also still an adult animated comedy, which is such a difficult space for people of color. Like, most of the time in adult animated comedy, it's straight up just we have one spot for like a black woman. Like that's all we need in the room is one black woman to be here to be like, Peter Griffin shouldn't say that. <laughs> like that's how they view it. It's like this should just be white people and maybe, you know, one black woman, maybe a black guy. That's it. I mean, amongst black TV writers, like women, we have like chat groups and stuff where it's like, hey, guys, so the black seat opened up in this room. Who have they hit up about it? And it's always like, if it wasn't me, it's like a good friend of mine. It's like the list is so short among us. The black seat. Yeah, it's literally like the black seat. Like someone will hit me up and be like, yo, this person left this show so the black seat is open. And I'm like, I know, I just literally interviewed for it. It's like, that's sadly still how it is. Like we're all just, it's never, like we just all know, like you're gonna probably show up and be maybe one of two or three black people or the only black person, depending on how big the room is. And... That's still the norm. And sadly, like, I think that's 
And Latinos even yeah. less? Or? Oh, yeah. Latino, everyone even less. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think a report that came out that was like for Middle Eastern writers and representation, it was like zero, like 0.02% of the overall industry. I think when Gordita Chronicles was canceled, um, there was a piece that came out looking at like all the Hispanic shows that were being canceled and just how there was this huge lack of diversity. And I think when someone broke down the numbers of like the writers, most of them were... Um, Kellett? Yes, Gloria Calderon Kellett. Like when someone broke down the numbers, they were like 70% of the shows are her shows <laughs> that employ yeah. Latino writers. Because <laughs> it was like one, step, one day at a time uh, with love, like another one. And it was like, so half of it is just because of one person who gets their shows made. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it's still really tough in the writer's room. But you feel like you and the sort of your community of body of culture, body of color writers, you know, do you feel like knowing there's limited spots, you are friendly of each other or you're like, are you, or is it just some, I, some are friendly, some are like, yeah, I think some are friendly. Way. Yeah. I think some are friendly. Most that I, that I'm in community with are friendly, but I definitely think there are those people who maybe like have a reputation of being like difficult to work with or kind of only looking out for themselves. And even that, like, I can't be mad because we're forced to exist in this, you know, world of, of, survival and eating each other to to get to the top so when people have developed that especially when they've been in comedy or entertainment like you know since the 90s early 2000s like that instinct makes a lot of sense to me that they would develop that way because that's how you had to be you know and now I think we see how we can support each other that we don't have to be kind of you know like dog eats dog it can be very like hey I heard this spot opened up it doesn't work for me. I think it'd be good for you. You know, we refer each other. We're like, you know, always sending each other's work out to other people, giving each other notes. So I think now we kind of realize, like, it's better as a community. Like, it doesn't help to be the lone Black person at the top who, like, struggled to get there. And now you turn around and the only people around you are, like, the white people who pushed you there. <laughs> uh, do you want to put anyone on blast? Like, uh, it doesn't have to be an actor or an actress. Ooh. And that can be good or bad. Okay. It's, uh, like, anyone you want to shout out? Anyone you want to say, oh, you know who's doing great work? Or you know who I like? Okay. Or you know what I'm listening to? You know, yeah. anything. I'm going to be, okay. Um... You know, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I feel like isn't getting the attention it deserves right now. I, you know, I will go with Southside on HBO Max because it was just canceled. Uh, and it was Could probably, have seen that coming. <laughs> right, it's again that it was like probably the blackest show HBO Max had ran into that issue of like, you know, didn't get promoted ever. They didn't know who to promote it to. They didn't know how to promote it. Um, most people hadn't even heard of it. And the people who loved it are shocked it was canceled because it was one of the funniest shows on air. Like it had such a dedicated fan base. Um, and if you haven't enjoyed the three seasons we got out of that show, you got to go watch it immediately. Um, and I hope another network picks it up. I hope Stars or someplace is like, yeah, the show should not be canceled and saves it because it's um, just being from Chicago, having family on the South Side. It is maybe the most accurate modern depiction of being a black Midwesterner that has ever existed. <laughs> Do you have any questions for me? What's your favorite show right now? I'm really into Yellow Jackets. 
Wow. I love Yellow Jackets. I'm really into it. I love it. I just binged it. Yeah. Because I'm waiting for season two. Yeah, I want season two so bad. Riveting. It's so good. <laughs> it's terrifying and I, riveting yeah. and creepy and uh, I watched the first season twice in a day because I wa- I stayed up until 4 a.m. watching it. And then my friend woke up and was like, oh, I was going to watch it. And I was like, let's do it again. So let's go. <laughs> good. That's that was, that's my baby right now. I am also watching The Last of Us. Yeah. And um, that's really it. I watched Your Honor for a little bit. Oh, yeah. I couldn't get into uh, that because I, I just over. was like, I don't want to watch some white man break the law and get away with it. It's just another. <laughs> it's, it's literally breaking bad all over. It's yeah. just like in a different premise. Like, yeah. I was like, and what is it? His son like drunk drives and yeah. kills someone. And then he's like, I'm a judge. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Yeah. That's what I got. Well, that's a good list. You know? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thank this is such a great combo. Appreciate you. Always love talking about TV. <laughs> To hear more of Ashley's TV opinions and genius, listen to TV I Say with Ashley Ray anywhere you get your podcast. You can also follow her on her Twitter account at TheAshleyRay or visit her website, TheAshleyRay.com. We have gotten some amazing, amazing responses to our callouts. The stories y'all are sending in are absolutely incredible. And so I'm going to hit you with one more. I am looking for stories about meditation. Yes, meditation. Do you meditate? Do you feel that meditation is accessible to you? Have you ever been the only brown person in a meditation class or yoga studio? Have you tried to introduce this practice to your community in an interesting way? When a white person says namaste to you, what do you say back? Tell us everything. Send us your stories in an email or as a voice memo to brownenough at stitcher.com or just DM me on Instagram. You could wind up on a future episode. You just might. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher Studios. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabriella Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. And I want to give a special thanks to the one and only Alex Gonzalez. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. Thanks. Peace and love. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.